Well, anyway, I'm glad you're here. Okay, if you have a Bible, Joshua chapter 6 is where I'm going. And uh, let me set it up. Israel has been 40 years living in the wilderness. Does that excite you? 40 years in the wilderness. Why? Because it was God's will? Because someone didn't get their GED? Because somebody had a divorce? Because their parents couldn't afford for them to go to college? Because the demons were too big and bad? No, because of their unbelief. So they settled for a lifestyle in the desert versus promised land living. And the reason was their unbelief. It, it was beyond their human ability, but it wasn't beyond God's possibility. And God says, you turned back and limited the Holy One of Israel. Where might you be limiting what God would like to do in your life and for your life? I sure don't want to get to heaven. And God says, well, Ricky, this is what could have been. You, you chose to live in something less than I had planned for. It was okay, but so is kissing your sister. Okay, but this is what I had for you. And when he wipes away tears, I think a lot of that's going to be because of what could have been, what might have been, what should have been, instead of what is. I don't want you to be a good loser. I don't want you to be the kind of a person that says, well, I guess what it is is what it is. Oh, get out of my life. We're a supernatural people clothed in supernatural power, bowing before a supernatural God. Give me a break. Well, it is what it is. Oh, no. Oh, no. I don't want to be a thermometer. A thermometer just tells you what the temperature is. A thermostat says I can change it. And that's what you are as a believer. Through God's Holy Spirit's power and through His Word, you can change the atmosphere that you live in wherever you go. So don't be a thermometer. Well, it's really bad out there. Well, let's do something about it in our life, in our church, our business, our class, our marriage. We can do something about it. No, I haven't had any steroids today. I'm okay. I hadn't smoked anything. I'm okay. I had some Gatorade. That's about it. Now, here's the truth. The truth is, your responsibilities in a promised land are going to be way greater than they were living in the desert. The rewards will be bigger, but the stakes are going to be much higher. See, it's in the promised land you will fight your biggest battle, not in the desert. Now, there's a sense in which desert living isn't all that bad. If you don't mind mediocrity, get by surviving. The people of Israel may not have had abundance, but they had enough to get by. How you doing? Well, okay. Bump along. Hanging in there. Show me that in the Bible, where that's God's will for anybody, Old or New Testament. I'll eat the page. That is not there. Okay. See, they didn't have to work the land. God provided them with manna. They didn't have to worry about enemies attacking them. They didn't have anything the enemy wanted. Mm. They didn't even feel compelled to keep all the religious mosaic laws. Uh, God had given them their instructions. They abandoned the practice of circumcision, which God had established generations earlier. In Genesis 17, he said, your bodies will bear the mark of my everlasting covenant. See, some people are content to stay in the desert all their life. They don't experience God's power. They don't live in victory. 
But then, not much is expected of them either. Yeah. See, the desert offers you a low-risk, low-yield lifestyle. I hope that excites you. <laughs> low-risk, low-yield. See, you get your manna, but you never taste milk and honey. I don't know about you. That's not good enough for me. I want everything God has. I got into this thing accepting Jesus. I want everything he died to give me. I want everything he says I can have. I want to walk in victory. I want to dwell in the abundance of his blessings. See, I'm believing you do too. See, I want the life that Jesus promised in John 10. Life to the fullest, effervescent, overflowing, artesian well life. That's promised land living, not desert living. The Israelites are ready to enter the promised land, but there's something in their way. So something's going to be in your way, too. In their case, the great city of Jericho. Jericho was one of the oldest cities in the world. Archaeological evidence dates it back to 9,000 uh, before Christ, B.C. That means before Christ. You know that. Okay. All right. Just think Jim was a little shaken by that. I wanted to be sure he caught on. All right. It was surrounded by a huge wall. It was considered to be impenetrable. And here the Israelite army is with no weapons, no resources, and they're expected to take the city. Now, it might be the same for you. There may be a fortress standing between you and the life God has for you. It may seem unimaginable, impenetrable. You may feel totally inadequate to conquer it. In fact, you probably will. Maybe it's lust. Maybe that fortress is just plain old lazy living. Maybe that fortress is a difficult marriage. Maybe it's personal scandalous favor. Maybe that fortress is loneliness. Maybe it's a financial problem or multiple problems. Maybe it's all of the above. And it stands between you and the life that God has promised you. Now, by the way, wouldn't it stand to reason that if we're to put on the whole armor of God, if we're to fight the good fight, there has to be something to fight. There has to be some opposition. I mean, duh, I think so, right? I mean, it's got to be something besides driving on 281 traffic. <laughs> That's my battle. So God, God's not playing games with you for any of us. When Jesus said, you will have the life that is abundant, he meant it. When Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, he actually meant it. When Jesus said, if you believe you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer, he really meant it. When God said through the apostle Peter that we could be partakers of his divine nature and DNA, he meant it. When God said through Paul that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ, he actually meant it. When God said through Paul that God can accomplish more than you can dare to think, ask, or hope for, he meant it. It's kind of like he says, okay, give me your best shot. I can now unto him who can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you ask, think, or pray. Some of you are listening to the wrong voice. That, God said that. I'm going to do a series coming up in the next few weeks called, Whose Report Do You Believe? See, a lot of people believe in God. They just don't believe God. Oh, I believe in God. Yeah, but you won't do what he says. You don't believe in him. Well, well you know. I just don't believe God would want, well, I just don't believe that God expects me to, well, I just don't, shut up. You atheists, you Christian atheists, oh, I believe in God, yeah, but you don't believe God. When God speaks, 
His word is authoritative, it's infallible, and it's alive. And you, you know, even the demons believe in God and tremble, James writes. They just don't obey. That's half the church right there. So God meant every word of it. And I want you to know if there's a fortress between you and the promises of God, no matter how big it may be, no matter how impenetrable it may seem, that sucker can fall, I promise you. And it will in Jesus' name when you take the steps that God gives you to take. So let's talk about how to make those walls come down. If you have the courage to try, if you're willing to do it God's way, you'll experience the same victory God gave Israel. But before you enter your promised land, you got to understand something. Here's a biggie. When you enter the promised land, that's when all heck breaks loose. That's when the real battles begin. Now, if you're a sports fan, especially football, you've seen this happen more than once. A hotshot kid from college gets chosen, top draft pick, gets his hands on a ton of money, and it immediately goes to his head. So he starts living the life of a millionaire, signs as many endorsement deals as possible, and learns how to work the media. In the process, football takes a back seat to everything else. And when he finally gets to the grind of real life in the NFL, he gets hammered. Here's a picture of Tony Mandrich. He was a top draft pick for Green Bay several years ago. Instead of getting acclimated to the life of the NFL, he decided to hold out preseason for even more money. He finally joined the team a few days before the season started. Hmm. So he wasn't prepared. He performed poorly. He never got established as a player. And after a couple of seasons, he left the league. Or how about Ryan Leaf? He's another example. He's also first-round draft pick. And during his short career in San Diego, he did the unimaginable for somebody with a seven-figure salary. He told the coach his hand was hurt so he could get out of practice, and then he spent the whole day playing golf. Now, that's something you might expect from a kid with a part-time job at the mall, but not a professional multimillion-dollar athlete. Ryan had a lot of talent, but he wasn't ready for the battles that success would bring him. And he also found out NFL sometimes stands for not for long. I think his story demonstrates the I have arrived mentality that a lot of athletes get when they get drafted. They don't realize the real battles just began. Maybe you received a promotion at work. Before the promotion, you might have been thinking that everybody above you had it made. More money, more benefits, less work. But after you took the promotion and stepped up that ladder, you found out, oh Lord, that's not how it is. When you get that promotion, that's when the work really begins. More responsibility, more pressure, more problems. That's why you get more. Unto whom much is given, much more is expected. Are you with me? So you want a better life? Well, there's no Kmart blue light flashing. There's no dollar store around your dream. It's high dollar. Some of you have been living cheap. You're going to have to spend some money. You can't, you can't get a filet mignon life at Whataburger. The price goes up. No, this is real life. This is real life. You want a, real, you want a good marriage? You ain't got enough money in your wallet, nor me. 
You got to pay the price. You got to die daily. Oh, Lord Jesus. Die daily. Yeah. Sacrifice. Give. Forgive. Yeah. You think people have been married 50 years, 60 years, just married the right person? You are insane. You are one French fry short of a happy meal. What happened to you? You're looking at two good sacrificers. That's it. It isn't because somebody had a hot body or somebody just did it all right. No, no. That's not possible with a fallen human being. You just, I know I'm trying. I'm trying. Now, it's the same thing when we move forward in our spiritual life. You never get to the place where you can put it on autopilot and coast the rest of your way through, especially in the promised land. In the promised land, you're going to have victory, but guess what? You can't have a victory without a fight, without a battle. In the promised land, you'll have more spiritually because you're going to do more spiritually. Jesus said much is required from those to whom much is given and much more required from those to whom much more is given. That's in Luke 12, verse 48. We see this in Joshua. The Israelites had to take some cities before they could inhabit the land that God had promised them. He said, I've given you the land. Oh, by the way, you're going to have to knock off some really bad people and some bad cities before you get in. They had to fight some battles. They had to take some risks. They even had to suffer some losses. There will be setbacks in your life. And that's because life in the promised land is different than life in the desert. It's a place of victory, but it's a place of battle. The walls don't fall without a battle. So in this story, we see three simple principles that'll help me help you enter our promised land. And these principles themselves don't actually bring the walls down. It's God who makes it happen. But if you'll obey these simple three principles I'm going to give you, they'll help you position yourself for God to work his power in your life. Or you can just sit back like 75% of the Christians who criticize everybody else who succeeds. Well, I just don't think God. Well, I just don't believe Biblical illiteracy is astounding to me. We live in a post-Christian nation. I can handle that. But now we're living in a post-biblical nation where Christians believe their opinion outranks Scripture. Now, you've set yourself up for a dangerous fall. If I lived by my feelings, you wouldn't want to know me. You wouldn't want to know me. I mean, how about you? Don't your feelings kind of come and go? If people could tune in to what you feel sometimes, oh, I can't believe that. <laughs> you? <laughs> yeah, you. Uh, wasn't it Paul who said, I know in my flesh dwells no good thing? Uh, some of you need to tighten your little halo. Yeah, I know what's in you. I'm telling you. Well, it's a fact. Okay, here we go. Three principles. Number one, develop a daily routine of obedience. Develop a daily routine of obedience. Now, God said to Joshua, verses 2 through 5, I have given you Jericho and its king and its mighty warriors. Your entire army is to march around the city once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark 
each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the horns, have all the people give a mighty shout. Then the walls of the city will collapse and the people can charge straight into the city. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds crazy. All these guys have been battle-tested. Joshua has been battle-tested. Nobody runs an army like this. This sounds extreme. It sounds weird. How's it going to work? I don't know. Maybe God sent an earthquake on the seventh day. Maybe the blast of the trumpet hit a special frequency like somebody's voice can break a glass with a high note. I don't know. God doesn't explain the details. He just told Joshua and the people of Israel what he wanted them to do. And that's what he did. See, some of you worry and, and stay in unbelief because you, well, I just don't see how God could make my 90% go than 100% if I gave him my tithe. Here you go. I don't see how the walls of that city are going to fall down with me marching in flip-flops in sand seven days around the dumb thing. I don't see how that's going to happen. But God said it would happen. So you either believe God or you don't. You know, I'm simply saying that how to make it work, that's God's problem. Me, it's just to do what he said. Somebody asked me a couple of months ago, you know, what kind of a church is Summit? And I says, it's a whatever he tells you to do, do it, church. And if we did that, we'd glow in the dark. We really would. Verse 11. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the city once that day, and then everyone returned to spend the night in the camp. And I can imagine they must have been saying, like all of us, over a cup of brewed tea or whatever they had. Man, that's weird, wasn't it? You see all them people looking at us from up there on that wall? They must think we've lost our mind. I hope Joshua's listening to the Lord. This is crazy. I sure don't see how this is going to work. Verse 14. On the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. And they followed this pattern for six days. Day after day after day, the people of Israel marched around the city. Maybe they weren't sure this ritual would accomplish anything, but they did what the Lord said. See, they were following the instructions God had given them, and they developed a daily routine of obedience. So how does that apply to all of us? You got instructions too. It's your daily routines, your daily habits that determine the outcome of your life. See, spend some time in the Word, spend some time in prayer, do your job, love your family, show kindness of others, take out the trash, uh, make sure you, your wife's car is full of gas. If there's a light with the tire on, she ain't going to fix it. You see it, you run down and fix it for her. I wouldn't be talking about anybody. No, certainly I wouldn't. I mean, I'd be thinking, well, she got a wash cart. She can run it through and get it washed. Well, she got a gas cart. Why can't she run it down there and get gas? It's hot. It's 105 degrees. How come I got to do that? <laughs> For a happily married man, yeah. You just give up. You just, you, and you know what? It's not what you do once in a while. It's what you do regularly. Some of you only come to church, I don't mean you because I don't know who you are, but some of you only come to church when you got a crisis. You live from crisis to crisis instead of living life by design. And when you live by design, it's what you do as a habit. If I'm not on vacation, if I'm not sick, I'm here. That's, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. 
I'm, I'm building up my spirit man. I'm catching the word from God. I'm having good fellowship with friends. Maybe I'm here to help somebody. Maybe somebody's here to help me. I don't know, but I never walked out feeling like, well, that was a waste of time. I always felt better when I came. Even if I came in discouraged, I preached myself into optimism and happiness. I've walked out saying, shoot, I feel like we got a shot. But you just do it regularly, regularly, regularly. You can't get good results out of part-time anything. That's how you march around the city. See, when you look at that fortress that stands between you and the promised land, you may wonder what effect your daily routine will have on your chances of victory. But remember, God brings the walls down, not you. It's just up to me or you to obey. God told the Israelites, follow these orders for six days. On the seventh day, victory is yours. Now, for you and I, it might be six days, might be 60. It could be 600 days. It depends on the fortress. It depends on God's purpose for your life. Your job is simply to follow the steps God has given you. Now, how does that work in real life? For example, if you're facing the fortress of a failing marriage, you already know, I'm sure, you can't change your spouse's feelings. You can't make them do what they don't want to do. That's a wall you can't bring down on your own. But I can do a little marching around the city. You can continue doing what you should do. You can speak kind words. You can pray. You can team up with others to pray. You can take loving actions. You can do that day in, day out. And I'll promise you, we are a quick fix society. We want everything done. Well, I gave my tithe once and all this debt is still here. And then the televangelist comes on and tells you the Lord has shown him that if you'll give $1,000 today, in 30 days, you'll get a hundredfold and debt retirement. And people won't listen to me tell you how to sow yourself out of debt. They'll go for the quick fix. And it's always a disappointment. Or you and your wife are at odds. Your wife hates your guts. You've been a lousy husband or wife for a long, long time. So you come to the altar, you confess, you repent, I'm sorry. Okay, you had a wonderful experience. We lay hands on you. You get slain in the spirit. You stay out longer than a rug you, and you go home. Well, when you get home, your wife's still gonna hate your guts. Can I tell you that? You're gonna have to settle in for daily routine of obedience to, if there's any hope of building back trust and affection and feelings. It's, now, God can do a quick fix. Once in a while, he does, but it's not the pattern. The pattern is that daily pattern of discipline, constant day in, day out, doing what I should do. And somewhere down the road, then people will say, oh, you're so lucky. Lucky? Lucky? No, no. If, you're for, if your fortress is a struggle with an addiction, you can't bring that down without God's help, but you certainly can surround your city Every day you can do little things you should be doing. Today, I'll pray again. I'll confess God's word. I'll spend some time in the word. Today, I will go to work. Today, I will find somebody to help. Today, I'll get in a recovery group, and I'll be there repeatedly when those doors open. I'll find somebody to serve. I'll look ahead to the day when God brings this fortress to the ground, and he will. And everybody that's whipped addictions and people in recovery groups are there regularly long after they've whipped this thing. They don't trust themselves to be innocent. When Eric Clapton was in town, first thing he does at 20 years of being sober, goes to an AA group. 
When I took uh, Chris Estes with me to South Africa a couple of years ago, Chris leads some of the AA groups. He came into this church as a raging drunk, a rock and roll player, got saved, went on, became a teacher, went on to become a leader in the AA movement. First thing he did, he went in that uh, iPad, looked up AA groups in Cape Town, South Africa, made friends, went there, never missed a beat. It's what he does daily, and he's never fallen off the wagon. See, because he does it daily. I, I, maybe it's a financial fortress. Take the financial freedom class. Learn how to handle money. Spend less than you make. Honor the Lord with your tithe. He promises to bless you if you will. And so by doing it regularly, occasionally I'll run into a suddenly. Occasionally I'll run into a miracle. Occasionally, I've been hit over my long life with a, where'd that come from, big debt, and all of a sudden, a miraculous provision. That didn't come out of a one-time offering. That came out of every week, sowing my tithe, giving my offering, giving money to a special need that we're going to help people with. That's just a routine obedience, right? This isn't really hard, is it? You know, I mean, one act won't make a difference. But daily obedience adds up. You can't solve a weight problem by taking one walk, skipping one dessert today. You got to do it day after day. I love our CrossFit people. Man, you talk about possessed. You talk about passion. You talk about dedication and commitment. They don't care if it's cloudy, rainy, hot, cold. They don't care if they feel good, got a little pain. They're into it. Well, some of them are into it. I... I don't think we have a majority buy-in this morning, but I want you to see when they want something bad enough, they'll do whatever it takes. And if you want to see walls come down in your life, start with the daily routine of obedience. Number two, get in the habit of doing instead of talking. Notice what Joshua said to the people of Israel. This is in verse 10. Don't even shout. Do not even talk. Shut up. Joshua commanded, not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout. Then shout. Now, now, why did Joshua get so harsh? Why did he have to say, be absolutely quiet while they marched around the city? Uh, two reasons. The first one is just kind of off the cuff. I know it applies to our lives because we talk too much. We talk, but we don't do. Every football fan Many of you can. Remember the bold prediction Joe Namath made with the Jets in the 1968 Super Bowls. Now, last night, many people told me, Rick, I was born in 1968. <laughs> Sorry about that. But it is Broadway Joe. You've at least heard about him. Uh, George Arujo told me he was born in 1968 when they came over from Africa and he said, uh, first time we ever heard of Joe Namath was on the Brady Bunch when he made an appearance on there. But oh, Joe was, was quite the flash, wore full-length mink coats. He was the showman. So his New York Jets were huge underdogs to Johnny Unitas and the Colts. But in a press conference held days before the game, Namath guaranteed his team would win we're going to win. I have that attitude. I feel that way. And it's not an uh, overconfidence thing. It's football sense. Okay. Now, the media made a big deal out of it. And when the Jets won, they won impressively. Now, since then, since that day, 
almost every other underdog team in every other game has tried to make similar predictions, and it works maybe one time out of ten, maybe. The fact is that athletes don't need to be talking about the game. They need to be preparing for the game. They're not, you know, they're not getting themselves any closer to victory when they're pounding on their chest in front of a camera. They should be studying game film. Victory in the Christian life is connected to what you do and what you say. Sometimes we put too much emphasis on talking. We're always telling others what we're going to do, what's going to happen, how things are going to be, but we don't do anything. You know, let me digress. I remember something I read this morning. God created the heavens and the earth in six days and rested on the seventh. We take Saturday and Sunday off, and we ain't created nothing all week. (laughs) Yeah, just by the way. So too often it adds up to just empty talk and egotistical grandstanding. Instead, God would say, don't shout, don't even talk, just do what I told you to do. Now, here's the main reason we need to keep our mouths shut. We tend to grumble, whine, and complain. Moses had to put up with 40 years of complaining from the Israelites. Well, we, we be not able, we be not able, we be grasshoppers, we don't have a chance. He had to listen to that for 40 years. Now that victory is within their grasp, Joshua doesn't, he was there, he doesn't want to hear it. Not a word out of you people, he said. Now, do you know what I've noticed? People talk too much about their problems. And when we're up against some wall, we complain too much about the situation when we ought to be taking steps to make things better. We gripe about the way things are. I think it was Jesus who said, speak to the mountain. Oh, Lord, no. We'll say, oh, that sucker's 14,500 feet above sea level. My God, 50% of the people that tried to climb that mountain have died. Did you know people fall in the crevasse on that thing? Do you know how cold it is there? Do you know that at 18,000 feet you go through one half of the Earth's atmosphere? Do you realize how difficult that, how big that mountain is? How few people have ever reached the summit of that mountain? I'm ready to quit now. It's like, I don't need the devil. I just have believers talking to me. See, when I climb Mount Rainier, that's kind of what I heard. Now, if you're talking to somebody who's part of the problem or who is connected to the solution, that's a different matter. That can be positive. But many times we just bellyache to anybody and everybody who will listen, and everybody gets sick listening to us make a negative confession. Jesus didn't say describe the mountain. He said speak to it. Tell it what you want to do. And if you say cast it into the deepest part of the sea, it shall be cast into the sea. See? So here's what I encourage you to do. Stop talking about your problem, especially with those who, unless it's with somebody related to the problem. Start declaring the promises of God, not the problem. Put aside those empty boasts, bold predictions, whining and complaining, and just contemplate God's presence in your life. Speak God's word to your problem. Whatever the walls of your fortress are, whether they're standing or not, You know, God's with you. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Last point, number three. Settle for nothing less than absolute commitment. Absolute commitment. Verse 15 through verse 19. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn, marched around the city just like they had done before, but this time they went around the city seven times. The seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, shout! For the Lord has given you the city. 
Only Rahab the prostitute and the others in her house will be spared, for she protected our spies. Don't take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourself will be destroyed, and you'll bring trouble on Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. Pause just a second. All through the Old Testament, from Abraham right on down, God has demanded the first portion. How many of you this morning are firstborn in your family? Firstborn. Look at that. Did you know God says the firstborn is mine? Of cattle, of beast, of man. I'm a firstborn. I was telling somebody the other day, I cannot remember in my most debauched days in the entertainment business, I can never think of a day I wasn't God conscious. Never. I'm a firstborn. Now, I wasn't saved, but I belonged to the Lord. He had his hand on me, and he had his hand on you. And then he says, on the first day of the week, they met. And then we're to give the first portion of all of our increase. Honor the Lord with your substance and the first fruits of all your increase. Old Testament, New Testament. God says, I want the first of everything. So before they got into the promised land, they had to conquer ten cities. God says, the first city of that ten, it's mine. Don't touch anything. And one guy said, well, I just don't believe the Lord expects us to give ten percent. I, 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 yeah, I know. You go to the church of We Be Not Able Christian Fellowship. I know. I know. He, he, so he took some Armani clothes. He probably took a few Louis Vuitton purses or suitcases and some garments and gold and put them in his tent and kept it back. And then Israel started losing battles. They lost 70 men with a little village like, uh, I don't know, what would be a little village? Like uh, 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 New Braunfels or something like that, just Fredericksburg, and they docked off this major city and didn't lose a person. Now they're losing people. Joshua falls on his face, calls a prayer meeting, thought, what is wrong? God's forsaken us. And God said, get off the ground, stop praying. Somebody took what's mine. Now you let the destroyer get in. See, God says, I'll rebuke the devourer if you'll honor me with your tithe and your offering. I'll rebuke the enemy. And as a result, they repented. They put Achan out. And his whole family stoned them to death and went on to victory after victory after victory. And God says, now all these other cities, they're all yours. You can have everything. But the first one, that's mine. So God says, give me that first day of the week, and you are right now. First day of the week, you're giving it to him. God says, that's going to redeem all the rest of the days of this week. Now, if you don't know that, the enemy can spoil you. But I know that. I know that. And therefore, I hold that against him. So I, first fruit of my income, first of, my, of my, my, my best response in a conflict ought to be a first fruit offering. So I just want you to kind of get the picture there of what, was, of what was going on. So when you do what you ought to do, day in, day out, without whining, complaining, bragging, or boasting, there's going to come a day when you know it's time to shout. Oh, yeah. You know the walls are about to come down. That will come a day of breakthrough. The financial problem will be resolved. The relationship can be restored. The job will finally come through. The cancer will go into remission. The addiction will lose its power over you. And, you know, folks, just remember everything you have belongs to God. I'm not here because of my own strength, but because of His grace. I'm his kid. I gave myself to him. I belong to him. Decide now you will settle for nothing less than absolute commitment to God on your part. And you'll see that 
what happens to Israel can happen to you in your life. Verse 20, when the people heard the sound of the horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly, the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites charged straight into the city on every side and captured it. So, what does it symbolize for you and me today, San Antonio? The necessity of absolute, pure commitment to God. You can't live the old life in a new place. You can't live in Canaan like you did in the desert. Yeah. So if you want to live in the blessings of God, in the promised land, if you want to live there, then there's a few requirements. If you want to live in victory, decide how to live your life fully committed to God. Remember a couple of weeks ago I talked about 100% commitment in David's life. Initiate servanthood. Don't wait to be asked to do something. Initiate. You're a son, not a slave. A slave has to be told, do this, don't do that, do this. You're a son. You initiate. If you see a problem, you can fix it. If you see trash, you can pick it up. If you see somebody sobbing, you can say, honey, what's the matter? Is there any way I can help? You initiate. Get serious about generosity. David did. You can do that. Be accountable. Get in a community. Uh, Proverbs says, he who isolates himself seeks his own desire and rages against all wisdom. In other words, I don't want anybody to confront me. I don't want to be accountable to anybody. Loners are dangerous, and they're in churches galore, right? Uh, Then whatever Scripture tells you to do, for God's sake, do it. Do it. Do what Scripture says. Now, I'd venture to say that many of you are facing a fortress today. Maybe it stands between you and what God's promised you. It may seem strong. It may seem impenetrable. But God can make those walls come tumbling down. One of my friends in Seattle who comes with me, Slava Stefago, he's Russian. His wife, Lilia, is a a doctorate in in teaching, but she wanted a, a, a better job. She wanted one as a consultant. Many jobs were offered to her, but they were not what she wanted. And so she prayed, and she fasted, and she gave, and she served, and they're in Casey Treat's church, and she gave herself over and over, and a whole year went by, nothing, nothing. And I got a text yesterday, she said, that job I wanted, it has now been given to me. So it took a year of being faithful, this daily obedience, believe in God, and she got the dream job. She didn't settle for one less. Some of you may be waiting on a wife or a husband. Wait on the Lord. You know, wait. Be sure it's the one the Lord brought you, not the one the dog who let the dogs out. No, no, no. You be sure you get the right one. You know what I'm saying. And it's always, well, I'm getting older, and, you know, I may be less attractive, and maybe somebody, no. Now, stop that. No, God, God's got somebody who will find you absolutely desirable in what? You know, the God who can, who can open blind eyes can also close them. Uh, that's, that's, that's probably not a good thing to say. But our God can do anything. He can do anything. And I mean, it, it's just amazing how people will, I don't know, he's crazy about me. Can you believe that? Yeah, I can believe that. God put it in his heart to be crazy about you. And it'll be worth the wait. And you'll be an encouragement to somebody else who's going through the same kind of a struggle you are. Yeah, well, will I ever find somebody? I've got children. I've been divorced or whatever happened. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. 
So relax. We all face these problems. But you just stay faithful daily. You be, you, you be 100% committed to the Lord, and you confess God's word, not the problem. Quit talking about how old you are or, or how many kids you got, and maybe less people will want to be with you. And shut, shut up. That's not got anything to do with anything. Just say what God says. God will do it. I can't do it on my own, but here's what I can do. I can develop daily obedience. I can do what I know should be done. I can get in the habit of doing and not talking. I can quit griping and complaining. I can start proclaiming the promises of God. Settle for nothing less than absolute devotion to God. You belong to Him, and all you have is His. Give yourself to Him completely. Your time, your talent, your treasure. And then when the time is right, you're going to know when that time comes, you're going to hear Him say, Okay, baby, shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and those walls come down. Amen. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.